Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Before we get going with episode number 200, I just wanted to take a minute and say thank you to everybody involved so that we are at episode number 200. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, really incredible to me, uh, when I started this whole thing out, uh, four years ago, a little over four years ago, uh, that I would be doing this many podcasts and it's, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's been just an unbelievable ride. I have so many people to thank all the guests, uh, everybody that's been on here. Uh, some of my really close coaching friends like Casey Hall, Tony Viss, uh, Tyler Shaw, uh, Dick Jungers, you know, just just on down the line, uh, you know, just having them on multiple times. Uh, e- even the folks that believed in it early on, like a, like a Kelly Flynn and and a Jennifer Raggi and and people like that. Uh, you know, Kevin Sheaf was my first cold call to do this, and and he jumped on, and and I was really thankful for all of that. Uh, just want to thank them. Uh, I, I really really want to thank my wife for putting up with this um i just tell her hey i'm recording a pod here and here and and she's like okay and she's so so very supportive and i love her for that and uh, she's just been an incredible life partner and and you know this was kind of her little idea have to give her credit where credit is due uh so thank you thank you car for for everything i want to thank my kids um Again, all the coaches that have reached out, uh, the coaches that have followed, the coaches that have come to our coaches clinics here, uh, which will be getting scheduled here pretty soon. That's a good reminder for myself. I got to get this spring's uh, coaches clinic scheduled here. Um, the, the phone calls, the, the people I've gotten to meet, uh, it, it's just been it's just been really really cr- uh, a crazy journey. Um, and speaking of the journey, it, it, it's an amazing journey. Uh, these last four years doing all this stuff and the goal is to keep it going as long as I can Uh, I am far from burnt out on this Um, I'm probably more passionate about it than I ever have been and you know I want to continue it as long as I can and if people want to hear my nasally Italian voice a couple of times a week then I'll keep putting my nasally Italian voice out there a couple of times a week uh, for folks folks to learn because more than ever, uh, we, we've got coaches quitting in the first week of practice this week. Uh, we, we've got, you know, just tough, tough things. And uh, one of the things that I've really learned over the last four years, and it's something that you knew intellectually, uh, but really more emotionally, we are really tied into this profession together. And, you know, it's, it's so very important that we stick together, uh, that we really don't try to cast aspersions on other coaches because we're all fighting the same battles. And that is something I have learned, uh, I, don't, I don't know how many different ways over, over the last four years. And so it's, it's been just a terrific deal. Um, and, you know, we celebrate it here with episode number 200. And if you'd have told me when I started this whole thing that I would have uh, had a chance to talk to, to Bob Hurley for almost an hour and a half uh, with hoops, uh, I'd have said you're crazy. And, and here's a little side story, and I, and I want folks to know this, and I hope I don't in, in embarrass Coach if he ever listens to this. 
uh, had some some mutual connections that we were able to pull this off. And uh, one of those was through his daughter, and his his daughter said, "Hey, uh, you know, my dad would like to just talk to you for a little bit before we, he comes on, so he can be prepared." Which is definitely not the the first nor the last one that will do that. So I was anticipating talking to Coach for for five to seven minutes. Hey, just a quick phone call. Here's what we're doing. Uh, here's the questions I'd like to ask you. Are you okay with this? So I called him up, and uh, we start talking. We start talking some more. We got done with the stuff that we needed to, and then we start talking some more. We start talking some more, and I looked up, and a half hour has gone by, and we're just talking a lot of different things about basketball, about coaching, about life, and it was it was uh, it was just a terrific conversation, and that that says a lot about Coach Hurley and the man that he is. Uh, because that's something that he didn't have to do. Uh, he just loves the game. He loves talking about the game. And I I really think, you know, all these conversations have been special. All these conversations that I've ever had, I've learned something from every single coach that I've ever had on a pod. Uh, but, but you know, when, when you're talking about only one of the three high school coaches that is in the, the Naismith Hall of Fame, and you've got a chance to talk shop with them, not once but twice, uh, was a truly, truly special experience. And so, Coach the, Coach Hurley, uh, thank you so much for this, uh, if you ever hear it. Uh, and and I just I just can't say enough good things uh, about him and, and all that he gave uh, when he didn't have to uh, to this podcast and, and all that he's given to the game uh, over the years. So uh, I just wanted to say these few things, wanted to put out a little pre-pod chit chat here and and I hope you folks enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed uh, recording the conversation we laughed we giggled we were serious at times it, it was just an absolute blast to to talk hoops with one of the legends of the game and without further ado I'm going to turn it over to the conversation that we had episode number 200 uh, thank you to everybody who's ever done anything with this. Uh, Bob Hurley Sr. out of Jersey City, New Jersey. Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to our interview series. Crazy, crazy, crazy to believe that we are at episode number 200. If you'd have told me four years and change ago that, that I'd have done 200 of these interviews, I'd have said, you're absolutely nuts. But hey, here we are, episode number 200. And I am thrilled and honored to have on here Bob Hurley Sr., uh, the retired head boys basketball coach at St. Anthony's High School in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, really thrilled to have Coach on here. Uh, but before we get to Coach Hurley, we want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic, which is located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes are struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. Give them a call at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter at A Pen and a Napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on A Pen and a Napkin, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening, download, rate, review. Uh, give us five stars on on. Uh, Apple or yeah, Apple, 
iTunes, whatever that is. Uh, the more you do that, uh, the better it is when people look up coaching basketball podcasts, a pen and a napkin jumps to the top of the list when you do that stuff. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Check out a pen and a napkin.com. It's a it's a really good coaching website. I like it because yeah, I guess I'm the one that made it. So I think it's pretty good. I'm pretty proud of it. So uh again, here we go. Uh coach coach Bob Hurley Sr. Uh not to be confused with Bob Bob Hurley Jr. or Danny Hurley. Uh we are here with Coach Hurley Sr. Uh Coach, thanks so much for your time this evening. Really, really excited to have you on the podcast. My pleasure, buddy. Um want to give a a quick shout out to a couple of people that helped kind of put us together. Uh, as we talked about yesterday, Rashawn Berno, uh, the head men's basketball coach at Northern Illinois. And then Rashawn reached out to your daughter, Melissa, and I talked to Melissa, and we kind of got it all tied up there. So I want to be sure to to reach out to them. And, and Coach, I know you're you're really proud of, of pretty much all your former players, including Rashawn. And, you know, let's just, let's just start there. You know, talk a little bit about, you know, your, your pride that you have in your, in your former players and all the great things that they've done. Yeah. You know, I think Marty, the, uh, the difference between high school and college is the, the relationships you develop with your players because, you know, you start uh, working with them when they're maybe 14 and, uh, you know, you're, you know, you're their coach for life. Mm-hmm. You know, the guys that play for you in high school wind up, you know, asking you questions about, uh, you know, certainly about college and then, uh, they start talking about things that are happening in their lives. You get sudden get invited to weddings, and it's a uh, you know it's 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 a great thing, and it's a, a lifelong relationship I think you build. And Rashawn is certainly one of those guys that uh, you know uh, he he was four year varsity player, and he was tough as nails, and he he he's accomplished amazing things considering some of the obstacles that he had in life, and uh, uh, and started off as a financial planner. And this, uh, you know, his desire to get back into basketball, I remember him talking to me, you know, when he was uh, in the business world, then he became a high school coach. And then we're getting more phone calls. Uh, you know, I'd like to maybe, you know, take the next level. And, you know, I can't believe that in the amount of time we've gone through this, he's the head coach of a college team now. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of, uh, you know, charismatic uh, uh, person that Rajan is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're talking about the like the weddings and that type of thing. I, I was just at a, a wedding reception for one of my former players this past weekend. Uh, one of her teammates was one of her bridesmaids, and, and like you said, Coach, that's the uh, the the wins and losses are great. Or well, the losses aren't great, but the wins are great. The championships, this and that, and the other thing. But it, it's it's just you know the more seasoned and experienced that we get, and we don't use the O word on the podcast, Coach. Um, the, yeah. the three letter O word. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that's just what makes it really worthwhile. The, the, the longer I do this, the more that's the, that's kind of the way I look at it as well. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a lifelong thing. And the longer you do it, when you get older, you, you appreciate more, uh, the role that a coach has, you know, as a younger guy, I don't think I knew, and I wasn't prepared to be more than just a young coach. But as time goes on, you're raising your own children and uh, you go through your own uh, stages of maturity. You're able to, you know, uh, appreciate it's more than just working with a kid on his weekend or uh, extending a shooting range. It's, there's a lot of other things that go to it that the, the kids themselves appreciate and remember you for. Yeah. Um, you, know, you, you did this for about 50 years, you know, from, from start to finish. 
uh, starting out in the early 70s and ending up in, in 2013-ish, you know, right around there. Uh, maybe later. Actually, Sorry. Actually, so, actually 17. 17, yeah. This is why yeah, I teach so history I'm, and not I'm math. Out, I'm out six years. It seems, <laughs> you know, it's torture, but I'm out six years. And I did all 50, Marty, at the same school. Yeah. So I only coached in one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's see, that's why I teach history and not math coaches, is the numbers, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, been out for six years. Um, you know, just kind of the simplest question you can ask anybody in that situation. Uh, wh- what are the things that you miss most uh, about the job? Well, I didn't retire. Yeah. My school closed. Yeah. So yeah. I think there was still, I think there was still gas in the tank. Yeah. And I, uh, I went through a, uh, you know, uh, like, you know, that feeling of loss initially for the first year, but I immediately knew I needed to do something with basketball. So almost immediately we, uh, we took the gym that we had, St. Anthony's had played in and we, uh, started, uh, you know, which we'll talk about later. We started this after school program and it was, it was, uh, helping me to probably, I think in terms of probably I was detoxing from the, <laughs> the life of nonstop basketball and it was not a good, it was not a good detox. I was really, I was really struggling with the, uh, you know, from all in head coach, uh, doing everything to all of a sudden running after school program with grammar school kids. Yeah. You, uh, you didn't was, get the shakes or was, anything, did you? It was rough. No, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough. Uh, you know what, uh, what what kept you know you said you still had gas in the tank what 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 kept that gas in the tank how did you keep refueling refueling the well, uh, I, I just think tank? Yeah, I was always I was of mind that like what what we were doing was important uh, you know Morgan Wooten was a you know well known high school coach from from uh, Damatha and we had this uh, Jack uh, Curran over in New York City that were lifelong high school coaches and were very respected and you know. I just know, I just, you know, sometimes you got to know where, where you belong. And I'm a lifelong Jersey City. Uh, you know, my teams were comprised of kids coming from all of the the schools and the rec gyms in the city. And I think I had played in, I've been in every one of the 30 plus grammar schools in the city, uh-huh. just public schools, a Catholic schools. I think in every single school. So that's probably at one time about 45 different schools. I have been in all of them. There was probably a basketball story from 80% of those. And it was just a level of, you know, comfort. I, I enjoyed the high school age. It's, it's, it's good, I think, Marty, to be the smartest guy in the room. And when you're dealing with adolescent males, you know, you've lowered the bar when you just want to be the smartest guy in the room. Because those knuckleheads are just, uh, you know, if you're using any, uh, you know, uh, psychology and you're trying to like uh, you know you don't have to invest much time to stay ahead of them. Unlike unlike girls, girls are you have to be much more prepared if you're going to uh, try to get one over on them. With guys, not the same. I was always able to be one step ahead of them because they weren't uh, investing much time uh, in the, staying with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, w- was that kind of you know obviously, coach? You had a lot of opportunities. I'm, I'm sure people were reaching out to you. Uh, about you know positions opportunities uh, we'll just call it opportunities to leave St. Anthony's but you're always loyal to to the school and to the community uh, is that just where your heart was that's 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 where it was yeah and, I, and, I, I think we're also life's experience I don't I didn't know anybody mm-hmm. I didn't know a person who coached in Jersey City or in this area here this Hudson County 
who had left high school coaching had gone on to college. Mm-hmm. And I knew certainly when I, uh, you know, I had some young sons in grammar school now that there was, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't figuring that we were going to, you know, uh, pack up the squad yeah. and relocate someplace. Yep. You know, yep. I, uh, I flew in a plane for the first time at age 23 on my honeymoon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, didn't, I, I, didn't have a, I didn't get a driver's license till I was probably 19 and a half. Mm-hmm. So I was on buses and I was, uh, you know, I went to school locally. Uh, my wife and I, we're lifelong. So this would have been drastic for us to have made any move. I think moving to the next town, Bayonne might have been a big move for us. <laughs> so, you know, like leaving, leaving high school to go on, you know, to go on to, uh, uh, you know, college and all of those things that entails, you know, recruiting and being all over the place. It, it, it just didn't seem to be me. I just, uh, and, and my personality was also one. I don't know that I would have been able to just say to recruit, uh, you know, I like everything about your game because I probably would have said, you know, a chain snaps at the weakest link and you need to become a much better uh, facilitator or you're just, uh, you know, you're on the ball. Defense is terrible. Mm-hmm. I would be too honest and, you know, wouldn't be helping the head coach at all with my honesty. You you, you were not, um, one of your strengths was not, and I'm using air quotes here, Bob, playing the game, so to speak. You know that yeah, that you have to sure. play to a degree sure. at that level. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we we talked about yesterday was, you know, the importance of attending clinics and and going out and making yourself a better coach. And I thought it was such a poignant story that you you won a couple of championships in your first, you know, very early on your first two or three years, right. Uh, right. but you really didn't feel like you were really qualified yet. Like, like this was not going to be sustainable because you didn't feel good about your own skill set and things like that. And, and you're a passionate clinician. Uh, like I told you, you know, I got a chance to see you when you came into Omaha here a few years ago. Uh, right. You know, why, why is that so important to have that drive to go out and go to clinics and, and, and talk to coaches and see it live? You know, just you, how did that help you? Why is that so important to you? Well, I think I, before I even knew what I was doing, I was enthusiastic, mm-hmm. you know, and I think in anything in life, you know, uh, nothing can be accomplished, nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm. So I had it, but uh, I, I kind of thought that what I had learned, I thought when I watched, you know, at the time, you know, and this is back in the early 70s, there weren't a tremendous amount of games on television. Mm-hmm. So you really had to, you had to go to a clinic to try to hear some people speak, and there were there were only one or two available. Uh, Al Balbo, who was a great defensive coach, used to run a clinic at, at Fairleigh Dickinson University, mm-hmm. and uh, and also the uh, used to be King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, always had a very good clinic, and we uh, I would go down there and just hear the college coaches, and you know I was a, a note taker, mm-hmm. you know I I really believe that uh, we all need to be lifelong learners. And, you know, of late, I've learned so many cool phrases that I tell people, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000 hours yep. to become a master of something. So when kids are in the gym with me and the kids have been shooting a particular shooting drill and they've gotten up maybe maybe 50 shots and the kids are saying to me, uh, uh, should I be doing something else? So I say, well, no, you still have uh, 
probably uh, 10,000 shots to take because you're only taking 50 to become proficient at this. That would start the Steph Curry, how many he takes every day, and and all sequence. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the enthusiasm was there, but I just don't... I knew that technically I wasn't... uh, uh, I didn't have proficient a lot enough to give the kids when I started. So I worked, a, and we talked about this, I worked a five-star camp uh, up in uh, Pennsylvania the summer after my second year, brought a bunch of my returning players. Uh, you know, I was kind of feel good about myself, but I knew I needed to learn more and got up there and Howard Garfinkel was running a camp and it was, you know, we talked to, yes, I countless people, UB Brown, uh, Mike Fratello, just... Count, uh, uh, Brendan Malone, who just passed away. So mm-hmm. many just tremendous coaches. Uh, Pete Gillen and Rick Pitino and goes on and on and on. And I get up there and I said to myself, my God, I know nothing. Mm-hmm. I would I would look around at the stations. I was doing a station and it was like I was uh, doing a remedial basketball experience <laughs> for these players compared to what was going on in the on the other baskets. And it was such a competitive atmosphere that the draft for camp took about three, four hours the night before <laughs> camp started. And I was not ready for any of this. I just thought I was going to get, you know, eight or nine guys. We were going to practice, uh, you know, short practice each day, play some games. And I realized that this was a lot more. And I went there and I worked uh, a week in June for 10 straight years. Mm-hmm. And after 10 years, I thought I now uh, wasn't cheating the kids anymore. And I knew a lot more. And I also wanted that week back for my life because it's a pretty rough week. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm not a teacher. I was not a teacher. I was a probation officer. So I would take a, I would take about six days of my 15 vacation days. I take off and then go up there to work and uh, come home and be exhausted from this mental and physical challenge. It was like taking the SATs all day long for uh, you know six days. So it became tremendous. I learned so much from it, and it expanded me, helped me with, you know, uh, developing friendships for recruiting purposes, finding out what exactly the game was about. And I have tried to stay with that since then of no matter what is taught in the game, whatever we're doing at a point in game when I'm watching in college, and I don't use the NBA, Marty. I use college Mm -hmm. as a barometer for what I should be teaching, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, the dribble drive, from Vance Wahlberg or, uh, you know, Bill Self's double post or, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, Dean Smith's uh, passing game, motion offense, mm-hmm. you know, everything that went on, uh, tr- trying to give a, give the kids the benefit of, of trying to teach it and see if it, it would fit the group. Because mm-hmm. all those things are great, but what you put in has to fit the kids you're teaching, but it also has to fit your personality. With the with the NBA college thing, is that just because of the skill level or the, just the schematics of the game? Because schematically, it's two yeah, different games. I th- yeah, I think the schematics is, is huge with the, uh, uh, you know, New Jersey doesn't have a shot clock. Okay. So playing with a, a, it's a huge advantage to, to build the lead in a state that doesn't have the shot clock and get up under four minutes, up 10. And now uh, just, you know, play a little bit different game, play, you know, more of a controlled game where, You'll take some good stuff, but if not, the clock is the opponent. So mm-hmm. that strategy is, is pretty much gone, along with the illegal defense, mm-hmm. which I think is what bothers me the most about the NBA, that they would have to they would have to have some rules 
to help offense. Mm-hmm. The best, supposedly the best players in the world, you you have to have defense of three seconds. Mm-hmm. These guys can't be to help. You know, as I mentioned Al Labalbo earlier, and now I'm talking about defense of three seconds. I should go. Uh, I should wash my mouth out right now for having mentioned those two things in a period of time. You know, ball you. You know, ball side and ball you man and uh, everything about you know the defense can take a talented team and really take them at what they want to do. Or you could you know do something like the NBA will do, or at least they used to do, where you could line three guys up above the foul line on yep. one side of the court. Yep. And if they could play two-man basketball on one side, yep. and none of those three guys could uh, go help their teammate. Yep. That just uh, it just spawns, you know, individual play, which I guess they were very interested in doing. But uh, that's why the college game, in my mind, is so much better because yeah. it's still the pass and team play is still and player development. Yep. Guys can keep getting better because they're young and they're you know there's still a, a ceiling for them to try to reach. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. So, uh... I wanted to, to throw this out here, Coach. I, I, I told you I, I asked a few friends of mine, uh, you know, if they had a question for you, and I'd, I'd try to pass it on or uh, that type of thing. And, and uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're good questions. Uh, so I, I've got three of them here. So uh, first one here from uh, my friend Tyler Shaw, or I call him T. Shaw, uh, girls okay. basketball coach out in Sydney, Nebraska. Uh, okay. He wanted to ask you, if you were to start coaching today, how do you think yes. your philosophy might have changed? Uh, definitely more uh, three. I would definitely be more three point uh, oriented. And certainly for the spacing part of the game, you know, as I watch more and more of, uh, I, I, I really, I really enjoy watching the five out game now with the with the center at the high post. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know. I would never have anybody uh, play near the basket. And, and certainly when you coach in high school, guys that are centers for you in high school probably are never going to be centers again anyway. Sure. So in, in teaching the game now, you know, teaching it to five-out offense and, uh, you know, spacing becoming so important now. And one thing which I think is tremendously important is the jump stop. Mm-hmm. I think the jump stop has become such a big part, part of the game. I think Villanova had... Uh, you know, made everybody very aware of the ability for guys to get their feet under them. Yep. Uh, not leave, you know, you, you're constantly teaching players not to leave their feet. But the amount of work that you can do now with jump stops to get players in a position where they get in around the basket and put the defense at such a disadvantage. But at the same time, if help comes, you know, that inside-out kick for shots has always been the best shot you can get on three when the ball gets inside first and collapses the defense and gets 
you know, pitch back out again. Mm-hmm. So I think those things, I think the spacing, uh, the use of the three-point shot for spacing, and I think the jump stop. And we always really believe that the most important skill is passing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I still think now that a good offensive team is a team that can get their basketball moving. You know, yeah. we're, you know, uh, Greg Popovich with the point five seconds, yep. the amount of time you have the ball in your hands. And, and also, I'm really... I really believe about third side on offense. Yep, making making the time of possession, uh, making people have to guard the third side, and finding that you know the the more passes you throw, the weaker the defense becomes. Yep, Don Meyer used to call them seventy three possessions, seven passes, three yes. reversals. Yep, yes, yep, yep, yep. yes, yes. Yep. Uh, from Tim Cannon, uh, retired uh, coach at Millard North. Uh, besides the wins and the championships and that stuff, what's the, what's the thing that you're most proud of from your career? Well, I, I loved, I loved how we used education in, in the, in urban area to, uh, you know, a basketball to, to, to get kids to do something that was becoming, uh, something, uh, for the families over a period of time. You know, we had kids that were coming, first one to go to uh, uh, graduate from high school in the modest situations in a family, and then we had so many kids that became the first ones to go on to college, and then those kids who went on to college would lead uh, more family members into these same directions. So mm-hmm. I think the success ratio of, of kids in, in 45 varsity years, I only had two kids to not go to college wow. uh, after high school. Wow. One, one became one became an electrician, and second kid, uh, you know, second kid started off and worked and uh, never got to college. Mm-hmm. And I think when you when you grow up and particularly a kid who grows up in an, uh, in a city to be able to go to college and go away go away from home you get a chance to grow so much as a young person because you're you're getting a chance to expand like everything that you know about about the world when you go away to college. Yeah. So that was all the basketball we had great success. We we had uh, you know a uh, tremendous amount of uh, kids get scholarships to college, which we're tremendously proud of. But I think the biggest single thing was that uh, of all the years, only two kids did not go on to college. And we thought that that was a great avenue for them and for their families down the road. Mm-hmm. Truly taking the, the mantra of what sports are supposed to be, uh, you know, creating a, a better life in, in a lot of different yep. avenues. And, and, and that's what you were able to do there at St. Anthony's. So. And, and they, they were all, you know, in almost every case, a kid was going on to play basketball, whether it was, you know, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, or junior college. They were going on to play, and their careers, you know, you're going to put the ball away at some point. But at least when they all were leaving, they were going to continue to play because of the love of the game. And then at some point, they were going to put the ball down. You know, many of them wound up, uh, you know, playing through college, but they got to college because of basketball and uh you know they uh, they took advantage of basketball. Basketball didn't take advantage of. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one from the mailbag here. Oh, did you have something else, Coach? No. Not okay. Good. Okay. All right. Uh, from Nate Wall, um, he uh, he asked. Uh, very, you know, you were not a traditional teacher coach. You you know your your full time job for most of your career was probation officer and doing Correct. stuff with there. Uh, he uh, he wanted to ask. Do you think you were a better coach because of your full time job? It's it's there's two sides to this one. I think I certainly, being in the city, I learned so much 
about what was going on in the different neighborhoods in the city of Jersey City where my kids were coming from. I learned so much that I wasn't going to learn in my uh, parochial, uh, you know, uh, growing up period. You know, my mm-hmm. dad was a Jersey City police officer. Yep. My mom, my mom was a nurse. I had a household that was intact. I had curfew. I had all the things that you get in a in a household where the parents are monitoring. And many of the kids that played for me were being raised by, you know, single parents, being raised by grandmothers, and and they were in areas where uh, I didn't necessarily know everything. You know, when mm-hmm. I became a probation officer, I learned way more about the world that was going on around me than than I really knew. So that was a real asset. The thing that wasn't though is not being in school every day. Sure. You know, Having when I had action. a chance after I retired, I uh, I became the president at the high school, and for I don't know three or four years, I had an office in school, so I would go in every day, and I would have the uh, big thing of candy and the uh, uh, <laughs> you know big bowl of candy, so kids would stop in all day, grab piece of candy, and we'd talk a little bit about the day. Uh, I had a chance to uh, nip problems in the bud. You know, it might be something where a kid came late to school. I'd see the late sheet, and I'd make sure that one of the other kids would send him over to see me uh, during the day. That I loved. And, if, you know, if I could have a, a second life in basketball, I would love to have been a, a phys ed major, been a phys ed teacher at a school, and coach had been a phys ed teacher, and then yet been around all the time, knowing what the kids are doing in school. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a good side to it, but there's also a bad side to it, like anything. Sure, sure. Um, coach, I want to throw a, a multiple-choice question at you here, all right? Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I see. You know, this teacher. You know. You know, different uh, different <laughs> testing methods here. You know. So this is a pop quiz. I'm getting a pop quiz right now. <laughs> okay. Be ready here. And, 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 uh, you know. Uh, but if you get it right, I'll give you an A. How about that? So okay. Terrific. Actually, there's no right I or wrong. There's in no. My academic career. I didn't. I didn't have too many of them. I'll be very happy to add this to uh, to my transcript. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to add it on to you. Uh, so, all right, all right. What was the most stressful situation for you as a coach? Okay, option A, coaching okay. coaching your teams. Okay. Option B, watching Bobby and Danny coach. Okay. Or option C, coaching against Danny when he was at St. Benedict's. Well, we can eliminate one right away because we never face each other. Oh, I thought you played against each other. I'm sorry, no, Coach. Yeah. No, they, one of the reasons why Danny liked the St. Benedict's job is that was in the prep school league in New Jersey. Oh, my so apologies. Some, I'm sorry. He had some post-grads. Okay. So he would be uh, – we would scrimmage. Okay. And he would bring players over and we would we would share. But we uh, – you know, we would – there was enough – Bad wiffle ball games, bad card games, <laughs> bad monopoly games in our house. I'm, you know, very competitive, a lot of testosterone. Yeah. So we were trying to avoid that. So we yeah. can eliminate that one. And I think uh, I would say, as a coach, going to the going to watch them coach. I love watching going to a game, get there early, watch the other team. Mm-hmm. It's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, Coaching my own team, I never went to a game that I wasn't like a nervous wreck. Sure. So it's funny that I could go to the game. But yet if I watch my son's games on television, tomorrow night Arizona State's playing on TV. I suffer during the games when I watch them on TV. Uh But if I'm at the arena, I feel like, I don't know, I'm I'm sitting close to the bench. I feel like everything's going to be okay Mm -hmm. because I'm near the bench. But uh, when I'm watching it from home, I just, 
It's like I, I can't get a, a a grasp of what's happening. Yeah. You know, like like any father, and, and I mean, I'm a father of three, you're a father of three, yep. you, we're, we're all proud of our kids, uh, and, 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 and you know, the biggest thing we want is for our children to be happy, and, and to be happy, to be healthy, to do what they want to do in life, to be passionate about it, uh, but, but it does have to be um, pretty satisfying uh, to see Bobby and Danny move on from their playing days, which of course were extremely highly successful, we don't need to go, you know, go through that type of stuff. Right. Uh, but, but just you know, what has it been like uh, being th- their their father? But also, I'm sure there's some there's some mentor conversation. You know, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? How would you handle this? I'm I'm watching. You know, if you're Bobby, I'm I'm watching film on UCLA. How do you think we ought to guard this kid? Yeah. I mean, you know, that yep, type yep, of thing. Yep. You know, what's that? What's that all been like for you? Well, you know, it was so, uh, you know, out of the clear blue. Mm-hmm. Never expected either one of uh, either. Uh, well, Danny, after college, uh, uh, showed an interest. He helped me for a year when he finished yep. college, and he taught at St. Anthony's. So I thought he was going to be like myself, a lifelong uh, high school coach, and had he had, uh, you know, very successful. Uh, basketball program at St. Benedict's, mm-hmm. but he wasn't making, he had two young children, he wasn't making, you know, a great deal of money. Oh, yeah. And he was commuting from the Jersey Shore to, yep. to go to Newark. So uh, him making that move was uh, something that I was excited for him, and uh, but never expected it, because mm-hmm. I never saw the avenue myself when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And with Bobby, Bobby just, uh, you know, he finished professional career, and then he was uh, he was involved in, uh, he had thoroughbred racehorses and he would, he would still meet Danny and I, and we would sit down during the summer and we talk basketball and he would be in the conversations, but you could see that he was lost all the time because he didn't have, like, we'd be sharing stuff about our teams yeah. or recruiting or whatever. And yep. he just wasn't part of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's craziest thing is that Danny gets the Wagner job and Danny calls me and Bobby calls me with him, I guess. 24 hours and Danny's saying to me what do you think with Bobby and Bobby calls me he lives in Florida he goes what do you think about coming back and joining Danny and I said you know it seemed seemed to be like it was fate Mm -hmm. it wasn't like ever predicted but I said to both of them I said if you two can't finish your sentences each other's sentences and if you can't have another argument like every argument you had in the house over the years growing up because they were 18 months apart if you can't have an argument and then five minutes later your brothers again then there's something wrong and that was uh, that was kind of the way it went but if any of the listeners ever get a chance to see there's one little uh, piece of video of the two of them on the Wagner sideline at the end of the game. It, if, if they can get their hands on it, it's one of the funniest things you've ever seen. The two of them standing there in the last possession of the game where they're up one and there's an opportunity for them to win this game. And they're both like standing up next to each other doing exactly the same things <laughs> for the last, say, five seconds of the game. And they lose the game on a basket. Uh-huh. They both sit down. They throw their feet up in the air and their hands go back. And Luke Murray, who's the assistant coach now with Danny, was on the staff. And he's sitting there with a towel over his face. And they've just lost the game. But it is such a funny thing watching these two at the end of this game. Because they was just the energy and enthusiasm, competitiveness had no boundaries. But mm-hmm. yet they were just both of them 
becoming college coaches at the same time. Yeah, that's uh, my wife. I, you know, we, we all have our things, our poses, our body languages or whatever. And, and my son was about 16, who's now coaching with me this year, which is really awesome. Really excited. Oh, cool. Cool. And cool. Uh, um, he's got his hands in his pocket. He, he was coming back from a mock trial uh, thing. So he's got, a, he's got a shirt and tie and suit coat on. He's looking sharp. And, right. and, he, and, and he's got his hands in the pockets. And, and I know I've stood on the sideline a thousand times like that, Bob. And my wife took uh, a yeah, picture yeah, and she's yeah, like, yeah. he looks exactly like you. It's the <laughs> same exact thing. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, I feel so sorry for this child, you know. Uh, you know, so I, I know where you're coming from there. So um, how, 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 you know, what kind of a ride was it for you and your wife uh, uh, watching Danny and, and his team go on the run that they went on last spring? Not, not only winning a championship, but the, in an extremely dominant Way. It was phenomenal. It was incredible. You know, uh, you know, things things that happened to us in the years at St. Anthony's were fabulous, and the years that Bobby played at Duke University were great. But there was nothing like the three weeks last year where we just traveled to uh, you know uh, Albany first yep. for two games, and then Vegas for two, and then Houston for the for the final two. And just go on this ride. You know, it was like all access. You know, you see all the all access videos. This was all access uh, NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And we were, uh, we went to everything. We were up there and uh, I saw practices. I sat in on scouting reports and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, video sessions. And I didn't do, I didn't do meals with the team mm-hmm. and didn't do post game. But I did everything else, and my my one grandson, my youngest grandson, my daughter's uh, boy, he's a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Gabe and Gabe uh, was in the eighth grade last year, very good student, and he took off from school for all three tournaments and mm-hmm. missed about nine day, nine days of school, perhaps. Yep. And nobody nobody cared. The principal yep. didn't care. Well worth it. Didn't care. Yep. Yeah. It was just one of those experiences where he'd come back and he'd talk about the last thing that they did and the, the things. It was just, it was phenomenal. And yeah. to just watch, you know, to, to be a coach, high school coach, to be able to watch uh, what we do in high school and then watch the detail that goes on at the college level versus high school. You know, we're like in the cities, uh, the stores in Hispanic neighborhoods are called bodegas. Yep. And I always said that St. Anthony's was a bodega. Well, coaching at St. Anthony's was a bodega. And then I was watching somebody who was running, uh, you know, uh, Disney. You know, it was just mm-hmm. a whole different thing. The amount of movable, you know, moving parts and mm-hmm. the amount of people involved in this. Support staff. You know, uh, inc- it was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you've been doing here the last uh, couple of years uh, putting together the the Hurley Family Foundation. I know, obviously, that's something that's really, really important to you, and I wanted to give you some time to to, to talk about that, to fill folks in about that, and, and if they want to know more about it, uh, you know, just uh, where can they go to get all that stuff? So, uh, Bob, I'm just going to let you roll there and just and just kind of tell us sure. about, about about that. Well, what happened was we knew we knew uh, towards the end of the basketball season in 2017 that this Archdiocese of Newark was going to close the high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. I was also at that time painfully aware of deficiencies here in Jersey City. 
we do not, at one point back years ago, there would be 10 or 12 kids coming out of Jersey City who would be Division One players. And we've reached the point in, uh, in you know, 2005, probably, or even 2000 on, where the amount of kids who are getting scholarships to college coming out of our 10 or 11 Jersey City schools yeah. had really had shrunk terribly. And it was the feeder program across the board, you know, whether it was the... Uh, uh, the uh, recreation programs, the uh, the CYO, the uh, the boys club, all the different uh, all the different uh, organizations. Everybody had lost the, the volunteers that used to make those places really, uh, you know, the heart and soul of, of youth basketball here. Yeah. So with now now that we're out the door, I've seen the difference. In my own teams, my own teams don't have the same. I don't have the same depth of Jersey City kids. I have kids that are taking buses to come from other towns to come in and the school's mission had always been to to uh give the opportunity for kids locally here to play ball and not that we didn't want other kids there the mission always had been to take care of our local kids Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the roster was filled with kids coming from other places great kids but they just weren't they weren't the kids who were still in town yeah so when school closed, uh, we, we talked about it, got some people together, and then we figured out a budget for how could we just rent the gym uh, where we rented from the city of Jersey City at the time, and we just sat down and, and put, made, put together a not-for-profit, and uh, we were now going to open up the gym. Didn't know how many days. We, we started off it, but we said be, it might be uh, five days during the winter, three days during the uh, fall and spring, and we were going to do all instructional stuff with a minimal amount of playing until we saw the kids get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we started that, and we, we struggled a little bit. Some of my assistant coaches all joined me, and then after a few months, some of the guys just said, I can't do this. These kids are too young. They're just, they're, they're just so raw that uh, we can't put this time in. So we, uh, you know, we, we ultimately changed it, but we have gotten to a point where on a given day now, we get about 80 or 90 kids come to the gym. Uh, our kids from those days now are now entering high school and the kids are all playing freshman and JV in high school, you know, all making the teams. They're all a little bit fundamentally sounder than the other kids that they're, you know, competing with. And a couple of kids that are entering high school as freshmen now are uh, going right to the varsity as freshmen because they're, you know, skill level after being in a gym for six years, you know, right through from like third grade, on has given them a chance to be uh, uh, pretty balanced players. So that we're proud of. We, we do, we've decided after we uh, had the kids come into the gym, I run camps during the summer so that we started to take kids away to basketball camp. Mm-hmm. And the easiest thing for us to do here is that St. Anthony's over the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, there was a deficit between uh, the, what the tuition would be. It ended about 6000 and the last half a dozen years or so it was costing us over 10,000 and ultimately got up to about $13,000 a kid. Yeah. So yeah. Our, def- our deficit on a yearly basis was going to be over a million dollars. Yep. Yep. That was something we struggled with now to go backwards and now only have to raise, uh, you know, uh, 10% of that in order to, uh, or 5% of that in order to function in the gym is, is where we are now. We, we know we're making a difference, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, as we said earlier, it ain't St. Anthony's, but it's uh, it's something that it you know 
at age 76, uh, I should be I, I should be more than content having a chance to uh, work with kids here in the city, uh, you know, three times a week uh, for the entire school year. Awesome stuff, Coach. Awesome stuff. So, A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Um, at this time, Coach, let's uh, let's shift gears here a little bit. Sure. Uh, I told you yesterday we were going to pull out the John Wooden quote of the day. And yeah. uh, so it, it's about that time for that here. So uh, from Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations, uh, page 135, what I'll do here, Coach, is I'll, I'll read the, the quote and, and whatever okay. feedback, uh, reaction you'd like to give to it, you know, just, just let it rip, okay? So Okay, and I, I have to let the viewers listen to he was my first, he is the person that influenced me the most about everything, conditioning, mm-hmm. fundamentals, practice organization, uh, you know, uh, playing for your teammates, uh, everything about Coach Wooden, just, uh, you know, the, the basis, I think, for the greatest, I think, the greatest coach in any uh, any college sport of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is he is the master teacher. Uh, he is the the type of coach that you aspire to be. Whether it's basketball, baseball, checkers, you know, esports, whatever it may be, you're, you're that's who you want to be like. Is you want to be like Coach Wood? Yeah. So absolutely. All right. So here we go. The John Wooden quote of the day is: "The pressure I created during practices." may have exceeded that which opponents produced. I believe when an individual constantly works under pressure, he or she will respond automatically when faced with it during competition. I couldn't couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, everything you do at practice makes the game, uh, you know, it's, you can't even say it's a dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Practice, if it's done, if a standard is set with practice, whether it's uh, having uh, competitive numbers and shooting drills, uh, times to accomplish things, uh, restrictions on players and drills so that, uh, you know, you're training, uh, you're, you're scrimmaging first group versus second group but your leading scorer in the game can only set screens and he can only shoot after the ball as everybody's touched it once. Whatever things you put in, when the kids play games, they are so happy now to be just freed of the, uh, the restrictions that are going to make them better players. I mean, uh, uh, you know, practice is always going to be harder than a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times we played in a, in a North Jersey championship or a state championship and would finish the game and would be saying in a locker room, wow, don't we feel like we could play another one right now? I wonder mm-hmm. if anybody wants to play later today. Yeah. It was just that feeling of that, you know, the 32 minutes you're going to play in the high school game, mm-hmm. your 15-minute warm-up, your halftime break, your break between quarters, 
it's almost not fair compared to the way we would practice. Mm-hmm. Where we would we would never have some coaches believe in having a halftime break at practice. Yeah. We never did that. I believe that the two hours that we rented a gym, we should have water bottles on the sidelines ready to go. And if I had a manager, I didn't want the manager to be worried about water bottles. I wanted the manager to be worried about timing our drills. Yep. So every time one drill was done, we'd have the time up on the board for the next drill. Yep. Because we, uh, uh, you know, I, I firmly believed and the longer I did it that the organization of practice, which Coach Wooden talked about, and I heard from him more than any other coach in that period of time, that it's so organized. And the reason why it's organized is that he said he would put as much time putting into writing a practice yep. as the practice would entail. Yeah. And it might be, and when it, when it was done, I would always say to my wife when I would do it, I'd be so proud of this practice. <laughs> if it was two, and if no. it was two days before a game, I, I would always say, this is going to be such a good practice that tomorrow we'll go in and it'll be just light. We'll go, we'll cover everything because we'll be ready after this practice tonight. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the way the approach was. And the kids knew if we had to have a hard practice the day before the game, I wasn't happy with our practice the day before that yeah. because I think you do it the day after your practice as a light practice. Uh, intensity would always get, you know, would uh, would be really big, be strong intensity early in the season. Uh, the practice would still be as intense as the season went on, but much shorter. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the drills that you, you know, you don't do, you don't continue to do drills just to do drills. You want to get better, so you're continuously changing your drills because your team wants you want your team to be, you know, stronger and and that you, that, that whatever the weak cha- the weak link in your chain, mm-hmm. you're trying to make that a part of what you're doing right now. So you're trying to get that to improve so that uh, you know an opponent is going to have to beat you. You're not going to beat yourself by being deficient in something. You All know- of these things came from reading every single thing I could about Coach, every book written about him, every having a chance to hear him speak two or three times, mm-hmm. and very fortunate to have, I had two breakfasts with him, mm-hmm. two, of the highlight, two of the highlights of my, my life as a basketball person being around uh, Coach Wooden. Yeah. You know, I, I, find my, I find myself, Coach, as, as I'm putting together my practice plans now, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think I've, I've done a much better job of being efficient uh, right. With the with the with the number of drills that I'm picking from, that was something I really suffer from. Well, that's a great drill. We gotta use it. We gotta. Well, you can only use so many drills, you know. And and that's something I've well, got definitely got better. But you can't be good at you can't be good at everything. Yep. And you can't be good at everything every day. Yep. So you gotta have some things in yep. there that like and, and practice. I think every day, uh, Marty, is it's to get it's to get better every day. Yeah. And number two, it's to get ready for an opponent. Yeah. I think if you start if you're getting ready for an opponent for more than just one day the day before you can introduce things press offense and things mm-hmm. to get ready but you can't be harping on and you can't be like from one day to the next you're trying new stuff i know coaches that are constantly changing their offensive philosophy during seasons yeah whereas i'll put no. stuff in and then as the season goes on i'll give myself about 10 games to figure out uh, where, where are we after 10? And mm-hmm. then we'll make some strong decisions about what we're going to do yeah. from that point on, you know, heading towards, uh, you know, postseason. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny that you you were talking about that and, and putting together the practice plan, you know, and, and yeah, wouldn't very famously, you know, 
if it's a two hour practice, you put two hours putting it together. And, yes. I, and, yes. I, and I find myself putting together practice. I love it. I love yeah. it, Bob. I love it. Yeah. It's my favorite yeah. thing to do, yeah. I think. But it's also torturous because I want to be so damn good at it Absolutely. that that it, it it because I really you know again this is the way I've I've kind of matured in my philosophy. This is where I win. This is where I give my team the edge. Once yep. we get to once we get to Friday night, it's it's okay. The, the kids have got to figure it out. But that's the greatest influence I can have is what we do Monday through Thursday to get ready for Friday night and. Yeah, and, 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 and I think Marty, when you can when you get them so prepared that they can play, and you can go, and it goes back to Coach Wooden again. One of the criticisms of me over the years was I wouldn't use timeouts, mm-hmm. and it's certainly I didn't use timeouts in big games. I wouldn't use timeouts. I think the latter years in coaching, I started to use term timeouts earlier, but I was of the mind that I want them to play through stuff. Yeah. And I want to be able to see. I want us to handle adversity, but in high school games, you you got to stop runs. Yeah, you know, because runs can be one run can be the difference. So, especially the one short thing game. I did I did get away from is that I was stubborn for a long time about probably half of my varsity coaching career about not calling timeouts, and that's Coach Wooden. And yep. then the second half was well, I couldn't make up for these, you know, like not sitting there knowing that I'm just letting the run go. Yeah. you got to stop the run, and then I could start uh, using timeouts early in the game. And usually I think it was more than anything was effort. Yeah. Use a timeout when you're not getting the, the effort that you would expect from the kids. I, I've li- I, I tell my kids every year, I hate calling the first timeout of the game. Um, I want to put the pressure on the opponent to call the first timeout yep. of the game. Yep. And I want to try to use only one timeout before the fourth quarter. I want to, you know, to me, the timeouts should be for strategic reasons in a close game. And if we've done our jobs in practices, then we, in theory, if we've got a talented team. Now, if, if the other team, in my situation, coaching girls, if they've got three six two girls that are dunking it on us or pulling up and shooting threes caitlin clark style yeah we're gonna have to use a couple of timeouts there but in in an even game i want it to come down to our practice preparation and what we're doing in practice and then we use the timeouts as a strategic thing um in in that regard and and that's that's what i communicate with my teams is that kind of where you were coming from i also two other things i believe i believe when you use timeouts you're giving the other team. We always felt we were the best. This goes back to Coach Wooden, the best conditioned team when we played. Yeah, we played extremely hard. We also tried to play very hard and play, you know, pressure man man defense. But we would mix it up. But we would be we were more band than we were multiple, particularly in the latter years. But what we wanted to do was not foul. Yeah, we wanted to play aggressively, not foul. And we thought both of those lent to a game without a lot of interruptions. And we thought our conditioning and, and and conversion in both directions were going to be advantages to us that the other team was going to get tired because of the pace of the games. And if we could keep the pace up without fouling and we weren't calling timeouts, they were calling timeouts from weakness, not from strength. Mm-hmm. Let's let's dive into a little bit more of your your practice organization, Coach. You know, we we've kind of we've been talking a lot about practice here the last few minutes, but you know, what are you know, how did you organize a lot of your your practices? And no two practices are ever the same. But you know, a, a typical St. Anthony's practice. What were the things that you were emphasizing? How much of it was 
uh, skill development versus team development, uh, offense versus defense, all those type of things. You know, I'm just, gonna, you know, you know, Bob, I'm just going to let you kind of roll here. And if, if I, if I've got a question, I want to try and interrupt, I'll try to do so as politely yeah. as I can here, but, but I'm just going to kind of let you roll here and just, and, and yeah, let's, let's talk about practice. Not, not in the yeah, Allen well, Iverson way either. Well, we would start, you know. we would have, you know, we rented from night from 2000 to 2017, we had a gym in Jersey City, a, a block from the school that we rented. Yep. And we would get that from 3 until 6.30. Uh-huh. So what we would do is we would bring in uh, one of the other teams in school, uh, or two teams, we'd come in and split the gym until 4.30. Uh, Monday through Thursday, we'd have a study hall. And the kids would go to study hall. Uh, we were big about uh, one of those days might be uh, maybe a weight training day. We tried to get the weight training done one weekend day and then one weekend day, uh, one weekend day and then one weekday during the week. So we get two weight training days in and then we would have study hall for at least three days. Uh-huh. And then we would go over to practice. We'd probably have an hour study hall. I would be in in the years after I retired. I've been at study hall with them. I bring a book to read. Uh, teachers would stop in, uh, kids would leave to do SAT prep, all kinds of stuff. Kids would also, and this is this something we get really, uh, I was very happy that this development, kids would bring in with them food to eat. Mm-hmm. And they'd go to the teacher's room, they'd go in and say hello to whatever teachers were still after school, and they'd put like a pasta in the microwave, they would bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, everybody would be having a snack during their, uh, uh, during the study hall. And then we'd head over and practice would start at 4.30 and we would have the gym for exactly two hours. Mm-hmm. Now, in the two hours now, we're not going to stretch during that two-hour period. I need that other five minutes from stretching. Yep. So we would try to get them dressed about 4.25. They'd be all around the court doing stretching, jumping some rope and getting loose. 4.30 we would start. And quite often, we would need to give one of the other teams another 15 minutes. Yeah. So yeah. So somebody would get 15 minutes down the other end. They might be running their half-court offense. They might be dummying it. They might be running out-of-bounds plays. They might be doing something because it's one of those traditional gyms with the, t- uh, the two side baskets at each end. Yeah. So they have that. And we, we would do some half-court warm-up stuff. If there was nobody that day, we would normally start and come out and do something. First thing I would do at 4.30, Coach Wooden, have a 15-second 15 uh, 15 meeting. Mm-hmm. And in the 15-second meeting, be very positive, try to really motivate the people to get going. If it's two days for a game, we would talk about the importance of having a real good day today. If it's a little more time, I might be putting some things in that day that are going to be part of the latter part of practice that they would uh, know this is the reason why we're doing these things today. We're going to see this in the, uh, you know, coming up in the, uh, the short term and we'd start. And uh, one thing uh, we'd start with a meeting and then we would want the kids in the first about 15 minutes on every pass and every drill to call a player's name out that they're passing to. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the hardest things to get with players at the high school level is communication, yeah. getting guys to talk. So we would, uh, we would start in every, whether we'll figure eight full court, whatever we're doing, every pass, you're, you're calling the person's name out. And then on the shot, you'd be saying, shot John or shot Tony, and they would shoot the basketball. We would do that for about 15 minutes to really get the voices go. 
and also now, and I got this from the former coach at St. Rose up in uh, upstate New York, Division Two powerhouse, the first 15 or 20 minutes of practice, every one of the coaches would say something positive to every to every player uh, on the team. Yep. If you can't if you can't come up with something positive to say about your players while warming up, then you're in some trouble as, as a team. Yep. You know, because yep. maybe later on when it's live, you'll be much more constructive criticism. But early on, you're trying to set a tone of play communication, coaches, uh, you know, acknowledging efforts. And, uh, and and now we get going and we would gradually work our way into uh, into the, the, the practice. Two thirds of the practice is going to be uh, skill related work. Uh, only one third is going to be team but shell and fast break drills. There'll be a lot of things that will be in conversion. We, we love going from one end of the court to the other. Uh, Vance Wahlberg uh, was running practices and he would time every drill. Uh, five minutes would be the time he'd allot. And they, the manager would put four minutes up on the clock. And we started doing that probably, uh, probably 10 years for about 10 years we were doing it. So the manager would put four up. I'd have a, before the drill would start, I would talk quickly with the players about the intention of the drill, explain it, we get started. And then at the end of the drill, there'd be a validation of the drill. Okay. If it was a competition, one team versus the other, uh, we would now have somebody would shoot a free throw. If they made the free throw, we would go on to the next drill. If we missed the free throw, we would run. Uh-huh. And we would run a baseline back to the foul line, and it was an eight-second sprint. Gotcha. And everybody had a crack at an eight seconds. If they didn't, we would run it again. Uh, we would do that. Now, the one thing we did do, and I got this again from listening to a coach at a clinic, he had what's called a win stat, and it's connected to practice. The win stat would be your game statistic where you keep the statistics that we would keep with statistics to win, not statistics to, uh, not statistics to, uh, for the newspaper. So yep. the statistic would be uh, steals, deflections, charges drawn, uh, block shots, uh, loose balls, defensive rebound. The nitty-gritty and then, stuff. Yep. And the last one is throw heads. Okay. One of the great unselfish acts in basketball is get it, pitch it on the outlet, okay, or get the outlet, throw it ahead to somebody, and people get the ball in space in the open court because of the pass. Mm -hmm. So we would give the kid, each kid, uh, you know, we'd chart each kid in a game, and the high one or high two, if there were two of them close, they wouldn't do any running at practice till the next game. So after every drill, you have a validation. But if it's the kid who's won these numbers from the first scrimmage, or the first game, and now you're coming at the next game, he would stand with the coaches, and he would drink, he'd have a water, and he'd drink some water, and he'd be encouraging everybody to go hard because he won the statistical win stat, and he didn't have to run. Mm-hmm. And we would do that for every game. When we first started it, kids' numbers, because they were so plugged into scoring averages yep. and uh, offensive statistics, when we added this and gave the the hard running was gone. You know, if you do quite a few five-minute drills during the day, there's a lot of hard, a lot of hard eight-seconds things you're going to have to do. Yep. 
And then if there was a problem, if somebody in school had acted up, and now teacher calls me and said the kids were falling around, they didn't clean their table in the cafeteria, or somebody came late to school, uh, or something happened, the kid forgot his reversible for practice, whatever it was, now the team would run, and they'd do some hard running, except for the guy who won the win stats. And he would just, again, act like a coach and talk about it. So the, the drills during the day would be four minutes when you're individual. And when we get to stuff that was team-oriented, uh, you know, you're working on uh, press offense, mm-hmm. we might do segments of eight minutes then. Okay. We might get to eight. We would scrimmage only about eight minutes. We never scrimmage more than eight. Sometimes we would have, when we had a break in action, we would have a special situations practice where we would come in probably after weight training and we'd come to the gym and shoot and do pregame warm-up so we'd get the whole team together in pregame warm-up and we'd warm up like ready for a game. Then we'd split the game team down the middle and we'd have an assistant coach each te- coach each team. I might be the referee or we might have somebody ref and I might just go up, sit up top and watch. And the two teams would go through all special situations against each other. Mm-hmm. And it might start uh, 30 seconds left maroon team is up one side out of bounds and you would cover all of these situations and probably get in a day try to get we try to do 16 we maybe not get 16 done but we would get 12 done and the clock would be on you know somebody miss a shot uh you know three seconds left of the game there's a rebound on a missed shot immediately foul try to give yourself one more chance to win we would try to play every second of every game and the kids hopefully would learn you know like how long uh five seconds can be Mm -hmm. you know it could be an eternity whether it's full court a dribble for every second or something like larry bird who used to play the last minute of a game every second of the game he played he played in his head and every time there's a stoppage he'd look at the clock and so he knew exactly from the time he was young, he would play down the time and look up the clock and see how close he was to the amount of time left so oh, that okay. he could, you know, maximize. Gotcha. I think that there that's all part of it. So I think the use of the clock, we use the clock every day at practice. Uh, the assistant coaches, we're doing breakdown stuff, you know. Obviously, obviously now the way the game is played, the breakdown stuff with the bigs versus the perimeter is a lot different. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more dribble handoff stuff with the bigs now, and uh, you know how they how they you know your your commitment to how you're going to hedge ball screens or you know what what you're going to do with that, and then uh, you know, the things that they do versus the old days where you you're doing the mic and drill, you have all of these things you have the guys do that the big men are doing and the guards are doing something else. Mm-hmm. Now it's more like uh, you know uh, positionless basketball probably helps those kids in the long run. And, uh, you know, so we'd go four minutes, eight minutes, uh, everything timed. Uh, we'd have the what he calls going on during the day. We'd have the validations. Mm-hmm. And we would try to make sure that the drills, the hard things were done after something easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen, I've gone to college practices where the coach is not happy with something. And he, he's, he destroys his own practice schedule by lingering too long with something that's just not working. Mm-hmm. I think most times when I was a younger coach, I would blame the kids all the time if a drill just didn't work at practice. And then as time went on, I blame myself for when I introduced it. 
and that I wouldn't go overtime on it. I would just say, all right, we're out of this. That was terrible. I would red mark it on my sheet, and I go back the next day, try to run it earlier, and maybe run a different drill the next day so that it wouldn't look like we haven't made progress. We're back trying to do the same thing again, even if that's only psychological. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was all, and always the clock was always involved yep. all day long. I think your home court, you want the clock to be like a, a part of who you are. That you're always looking at the clock every time there's a, a stoppage. You know exactly what's going on, and you're aware of all that. And the, I think the the practice was always, as I said, to to get better. And the second thing was to get ready for an opponent, and it had to be competitive. But it had to be fun. Mm-hmm. You have to have your moments during the day Such where a sarcasm reigns supreme yep. because somebody just, you know, making a scatterbrain play that defies all logic. Those moments, you want to have those moments because you can, you know, you can relive those uh, many times, you know. Just like the bus trips in high school are, uh, you know, uh, they're just priceless when you go going to play someplace and you, you're traveling and your coaches are all up front talking, the kids are in the back and somebody's got to go up, one of your young assistant coaches got to go up in the back and <laughs> wake up the bomb squad about 20 minutes before you arrive. Yeah. So you have nobody walking in the door yawning, you know, you're, you're getting yourself ready to go. And then on the way back in the bus, how noisy the bus is after a game when the team has played well. Yeah. Now everybody's talking on the bus. Yep. Coaches are talking about where they're, going, where they're scouting assignments for the next couple of days, uh, games on TV if they get home early enough, uh, you know, where they're going to get something to eat late here if they haven't eaten yet, or they will get in the conversations, the best pizza in your neighborhood. We have all those things that are going on. Just a, just one big, uh, you know, a sophomoric uh uh, dormitory uh, deal going on the way home. Yeah, just just happens to be on wheels though. So, yep, yep. Uh, coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Uh, Coach, you got time for one more thing? Certainly. All right. You want to talk a little shell drill? I know you were. We had talked about it a little bit yesterday, and you want to talk about it. You want. You want to talk a little shell today? Yeah. Well, I think if you start, we, we start with shell. You start with the. I'm a. I, I was a Dick Bennett. I'm a Dick Bennett. Okay. On line up the line coach. Okay. Got Dick. it and got it and eight got it in uh, eighty five. Put it in in eighty five and never uh, tweak. You know, as we tweak, we tweak, but never got out of the basic philosophy. So. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe a little less in, with Shell. We want to make sure that we, uh, with no middle, so we always have inside foot, inside foot up to send the ball outside. We want that hand to be up uh, in scoring area. That hand is up as a contest hand. The other hand down. Uh, we're conscious of active hands, but deflection. Uh, we want the head of the player guarding the ball to be below the shoulders of the uh, offensive player. So if my head is below the shoulders, my eyes are right on the lettering on the shirt. 
and that's where I want to be, center mm -hmm. in the body. Gotcha. So I'm there. I want to start the pass on ball side in the corner. I want to be up the line. I want to be in a position in that gap. And the way the game has changed, maybe I'm a little quicker now to go back to that corner guy because of all of the, uh, you know, pitch, uh, ball side, strong side uh, shooting. But I still want that guy to be up the line foot faking because part of the way we would play is we would go from early help to trap. Mm -hmm. And it would be somebody playing against us could never differentiate when it was going to be early trap, early help versus a trap. When the early help is just, I help early, I've got to have the commensurate back to my man. Whereas a trap is now, a trap's going to be a rotation. So now we're going to go from man, we're going to go to two on the ball, two, two, one, play the next two passes and have a basket protector. And then if you throw out of the trap, we're in a rotation and we're playing. So a big part of the, a big part of shell is just starting is getting them in the four places. Mm -hmm. The guy on the ball foots up guy on his side is in the gap. He's up the line foot faking with that uh, closest foot in hand. The, uh, the two guys on the weak side where we have them, uh, we would be, we would have them sink mid. They get to midpoint in the lane we would talk about them both being the point of flat triangles. And the back guy is called the sink guy. That's Coach, mm -hmm. this is coach, uh, coach Bennett's sink guy. Yeah. He's under the rim, and he's like the free safety in, the one, in that one back safety of, uh, in football where he's back there and he's the communicator because he's, he's got the least movement. He's got the most communication. Mm -hmm. The top guy, is uh, he's a point of a triangle. He's at midpoint. And he knows now he's going to need to help the helper. Mm -hmm. If the ball gets pushed sideline, baseline, the sink guy is going to go take a baseline drive, and his partner is going to drop down to that baseline spot yep. in the rotation. So they're all they're all ready to move. And we would just go now for first day. We would just move it pass to pass, and we would just make sure we're in position and we're communicating. And then over the last bunch of years, we started to go uh, start off with four on three. We put the guys in a triangle, and we would just throw the ball to one of the four guys, and we had to guard both players on ball side, and we'd have a guy that's a sink. And mm -hmm. the sink guy on a pass that would be thrown from one side now, he'd have to come out and pick up the ball, and the other two would have to rotate to second player on ball side and sink. So if you do that four-on-three shell where they have to move and then after five passes it'd be live, when you add the fourth, the fourth defender, it almost seems like it's unfair mm -hmm. that now it takes a major breakdown, not be a position to really help each other. So we'd start and we would just go on just ball movement, uh, you know, working on that triangle and the rotations. I have to, two things, I have to always, we've got to always guard the ball we have to talk and point to the ball, point to the ball. I've got ball, and now I got gap. I'm helper. I'm sink. You know, whatever the position is, they're talking the whole time practice. And then we would start with just pass, and then we would just jump to the ball. Mm -hmm. So now in the pass, we jump into the ball. Yep. When we jump into the ball now, now we're going to start sending cutters through. And we would send the cutter, you know, if the top player makes that pass to the corner and he cuts through, it's ball you man. And we're going to guard him all the way down to the post. If he stops and posts, we front the post. And if we front the post inside dead front, we, as long as the ball's below the foul line, we're going to dead front. 
and we yell fire. Uh-huh. When we front the post, we yell fire. When we yell fire, everybody knows now, guy in the ball, he hears fire. He's got to really get up and pressure the man with the ball now so he's not getting good looks inside. And the guys that are off the ball now know to sink in the direction of the post. Just like in pick and roll, you want guys off the pick and roll to be sinking, you know, sinking in the direction of the action in the ball screen. So you, you want them working on that. Again, communication. And the next step after cutting into the post where you're front, the guy goes away and he goes to that opposite corner and they rotate up. So you're filling the opposite. When you fill opposite, that guy who'd been front in the post, when a man goes away, he turns and he goes to the sink position under the rim and he stays. Yep. And now as the ball moves, everybody will jump. So that drill, that becomes third. And then we'll start cutting. When we go, we would then go in the shell, we'd pass the ball from, you know, uh, say guard forward or guard wing there, and the opposite guard would cut through, and he'd come through and post. So we'd work on that to get that to get that guy who's away from the ball in a position where he can beat his man through. That guard now is going to post him, and as the ball gets swung, he'll step out just like we did with the cutter, and we'll swing the ball around, and then the opposite guard will go away. So we call one strong side, strong side guard face cut, and then we go weak side guard, and we've got to be able to guard those as soon as they hear, as soon as they hear fired. Everybody knows to they've got to change the positioning they're in, and we've got to cheat towards the guy in the post to help him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the one that we did, which really I think we would we would run one. Every other day, no paint. And we would now go four perimeter. And now everybody would be very conscious of getting ready for a team that is trying to just space us and turn a corner and go. Yep. And we would now we would now do so much of that individual discipline stance where we've been doing stuff in practice where the kid is trying to stop and go. They're trying to shot fake. They're trying to do whatever they can do to get us to, to relax, come out of our stance, and then they're trying to get paint, just a paint drill. They're trying to get a piece of the paint. The help guy is trying to jump into the into this drive now or this penetration and go full body support so that he can't get into the paint, yet he's got to close out with the uh, you know inside foot up on that return pass to his man, or perhaps if it's in a situation where he, he can't, then there's a rotation where you're helping, helping out, and the, the back corner guy is sliding up, and you're you're going to go pick up the guy corner. That's going to be done by the you know the the degree of help and the, the uh, you know the basketball IQ of the guy who's helping helper. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And they would be. And you know what we do? We would always do it from from conversion. Yeah. So we're playing four on four. We're going to go from that to conversion defense. Yep. And that yep. becomes for them. We would just say uh, Boston Celtics. Look at the old footage. Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, Larry Bird, three of the slowest front court players <laughs> in the history of the world, and they were a great running team. The Chiefs. Because when the ball changed hands, they would be three steps in the other direction all the time, yep. in both directions. Yep. They did linger three steps going the other way. So yep. we were huge on three steps back. As soon as you get back, you, we're going to be able to go out and pick up the ball earlier. If yep. we get guys coming back late, we're not going to have an early pickup point. We get guys back, sacrifice us something on the offensive boards, we're going to be able to get to the ball early, and defense begins as soon as you can put somebody on the ball and change you know, yeah. the possession. I think that's something that, as you become, again, we'll use the phrase seasoned and experienced coach, 
you realize how important that offense to defensive conversion is and, and how you need to implement that into as many of your drills as you possibly can, whether it's three on three, four on four, five on five. It, it's, it's so very important that when you are um, not as seasoned and experienced, uh, you, you lose track of that. And, and boy, you give yeah. up a few breakaway layups and, and it gets on your radar pretty quick. Well, when you want, you know, when you want to win, the first thing you want to do is take away the other team's running game. Yep. No running game. They don't. They don't run. So now they got to run half court offense. Now in half court offense, scouting report really jumps into the thing. The preparation, the kids being on point on scouting report about the strengths and weaknesses of players. Your closing outs. You know, you close out on a guy who's a great shooter. You want to run him off the line. You don't close out on a kid who's a driver, and if he shot fakes and you jump, that's just a terrible basketball play. Because when you, the coaches scheduling, our rule used to be if a guy makes two shots in a row, we'll change the scout report. Yep. If they don't make two in a row, then we're staying with the scout report. So, you know, the way you, the way you play the scout report and closeouts and contesting shots, having hands up to contest shots all the time. You know, mm-hmm. the numbers of, of professional players, what they shoot with open shots versus contested shots, yep. it's like a 15% difference. So yep. you get out on those and then rebounding with five players, five guys going to the glass all the time. You know, your guards can get in and get those loose rebounds because their men are probably balanced on the floor. So you've got a couple of additional rebounders. And when they get in there and rebound, you can start the fast break with the balls already in their hands. And that's the way you kind of prepare guys to think about that. If you can get a kid in your team who's capable of getting four defensive rebounds a game and he can push it, wow, you've got some what he called there. Once he gets his hands on it, you've got guys on your team that are going to run hard to the other end because the guard is going to reward because in transition, the guard is always thinking, you know, pass first, shot second. Yep. And now you've got happy guys running in the other direction. Yep. You know, a lot of these little things make for a culture where it's always about it's the group. It's never about the individual. Yep. Yep. The details of the game is is yep. is where you make your hay, don't you? Yep. 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 Coach Bob Hurley, uh, just a a privilege and a pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast here tonight. I appreciate the. The time that you've uh, given me the, the the last couple of days here, um, it's just been an absolute thrill for me, and and I, I hope you've I hope you've enjoyed your your time here on a, on a pen and a napkin podcast. I loved I loved it, and I loved uh, how close we got to John Wooden isms today. That yes. was yeah, I, I I think we might have set a record for John Wooden isms here <laughs> <laughs> on this one. Two hundred. Also show my age big time because <laughs> you know his his back to back championships occurred in the seventies, which would predate a lot of the high school coaches right now, uh, having been born. Yeah, but but some of that stuff, uh, coach, you know, Wooden, Don Meyer, uh, you know, sure. Dean Smith, all that, uh, yeah. all those things, um, it, 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 it's timeless. It doesn't matter, Pat yeah. Summit. It, yes. it, it it doesn't matter, and and I'm not saying that we shouldn't advance the game or look at new ways of doing it obviously the game has grown tremendously but there's also so many good things that you can mine from the the, the folks that uh whose whose influence on the younger generations may have been 
uh, you know, they're they're just not as aware of it. It's not because right. they're it's not because they're ignoring it. They're just not aware of it. And I think there's a big Absolutely. difference there. You know. Well, when I watch with the, uh, coach, when I watch the NBA right now, and I look at the amount of three point shots that are taken, and I just watch it, and I know that some of the uh, some of the uh, uh, the game, you know, some of the style and grace of basketball we're losing because we're we're running five people behind a three point line mm-hmm. and we're just uh, having a three point shooting contest. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to use the mid range game. We're not trying to uh, put people in foul trouble. How do you get somebody in foul trouble when you're shooting forty threes in a game? Yeah, if a guy gets in foul trouble, he should just have uh, so whoever's working with the defense with that team. You should get fired because nobody should get in foul trouble in the game right now when no one is really or rarely is anybody in a, a situation where they're, you find a guy who's a driver or a, or a guy who gets a mismatch and he posts up. Every mismatch is on the perimeter now. Mm-hmm. Small, you know, being guarded by big. We no longer throw it inside. So big can attack small. Mm-hmm. No, I, I yeah. It's, it's, it's a different game. It has grown. Um and and we're we're just trying to to take the best that we can and coach you have you have given myself and and the listeners uh, a tremendous uh, a tremendous education on on so many really really great things tonight and and I can't thank you enough for your time and and the like I said just the the conversations we've had here the last couple of days it's 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 been a privilege Thanks and a pleasure you. totally totally enjoyed it I'm a as I know you are I'm a I'm a hooper yeah I love talking about it love watching it and. Uh, as we get off now, I'll flip on Rutgers uh, Georgetown because I'll be uh, I'll catch the second half of that game now. Gotcha. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Coach, if you could hold the line here a quick second as we wrap everything sure. up uh, again, uh, episode number two hundred, and I could not think of a, a better person to have on here uh, than, than Bob Hurley from uh, St. Anthony's. Uh, just, just it's been awesome. So, uh, I want to thank Coach Hurley for his time. I want to thank, uh, of course, our founding sponsor. Two hundred of these episodes, and and. With all the other garbage that I do, I, I'm getting close to 500 altogether. So my nasally, my nasally Italian voice has been way out there too much here the last four years or so. Uh, but it's it's just been awesome. And if it wasn't for Dr. Kevin and Dr. Heidi, none of this would have been possible. They gave uh, they gave what was needed to get this off the ground. So want to thank them again. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle. Uh, Download, rate, review, give us five stars. Again, uh, the more we move up in the podcasting world with that type of stuff, the more people find out about a pen and a napkin. Email me with any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. And like I said, check out a pen and a napkin.com. A lot of great stuff on the Twitter or on the on the website there. Uh, episode number 200 in the books. Uh, I want to thank Coach Hurley for his time. Once again, it's been a great conversation. I hope you folks have enjoyed it because I definitely have. So, coaches, for the 200, well, more than 200 times. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day 